Slate's Serial Spoiler Special is brought to you by Harry's, the shaving company that offers German-engineered blades, well-designed handles, and shipping right to your door. Visit harrys.com for $5 off your first purchase with the promo code SERIALSPOILER. This episode is also sponsored by Audible, which has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Get a free 30-day trial at www.audible.com slash SERIALSPOILER. And by GE Podcast Theatre. Have you heard The Message, an original science fiction podcast from Panoply and GE Podcast Theater? All of season one is available now. So listen and find out why a 70-year-old alien recording seems to be killing people. Search for The Message on iTunes. Hello and welcome to Slate's Serial Spoiler Special. I'm Slate Senior Editor Gabriel Roth here in New York. And in D.C. is Slate's Words Correspondent Katie Waldman. Hi, Katie. Hi, Gabe. Every week, Katie and I and our guests are going to be discussing season two of the uber-popular podcast Serial, going deeper into the show's themes, exploring its characters and situations, and looking at the ways in which the podcast reverberates in the world. A little later, we'll also be joined by Adrian Bonnenberger, who was twice deployed to Afghanistan as an infantry officer in the U.S. Army, and whose memoir Afghan Post was published last year. But Katie, let's start with first impressions. How does this new season feel different from the serial that we all fell in love with? Well, I think um, one thing that stood out to me is the central mystery is different. It's not so much a question of what are the facts? Did Adnan Syed kill um, Heyman Lee? We know what happened. We know that Bo Bergdahl walked off his post and was imprisoned by the Taliban. What we want to understand is why. And so I think there might be less role for the audience to participate and to do research and dig up sort of the clinching detail. And it's going to be a little bit more of a psychological portrait, um, sort of competing narratives about what he was up to. Yeah, I guess I went in with the sort of association that Serial is a true crime series. Serial is about taking a, a cold case or, or an investigation of a crime and and sort of picking up the leads and digging into it and, and exploiting that, not just for, you know, looking for a solution, but also for the various narrative threads you get into, the the, uh, the way in which if you start trying to figure out even the smallest details, you start learning these stories about people's lives. And, and uh, with this sort of unsolved mystery or unresolved question to, to drive that narrative investigation. Uh, Doing it with the story of Bo Bergdahl reveals that that understanding of serial was wrong, that, that actually it's not about true crime. What it's about is, is a kind of long-form audio storytelling through journalism, uh, and that there are all kinds of different stories that they could fit into this format. Sure. Although that does make me think that um, one sort of retroactive light that uh, season two cast on season one for me was that it really tends to revolve around one character. And I know, uh, or maybe the relationship between a dyad, uh, Sarah Koenig and her central character, but um, just learning more about Bo and sort of the idiosyncratic decisions he made and sort of the interesting and strange phrasings he had. The I think he had a hurricane of wrath in there somewhere and the beautiful way he talks about waking up and not even knowing what he is. You know how you get that feeling when that word is on the tip of your tongue? Yeah. That happened to me only. It was like, what am I? Uh, like, I couldn't, I couldn't see my hands. I couldn't do anything. The only thing I could do was, like, touch my face. And it, even that wasn't, like, you know, registering, right? 
Yeah. You know, to the point where you just want to scream and you can't, like, I can't scream, I can't risk that. So it's like you're standing there screaming in your mind in this room. You're standing, like, in this blackened dirt room that's tiny. And just on the other side of that flimsy little door, wooden door that you could probably easily rip off the hinges is the entire world out there. It is everything that you're missing. It is everybody, everyone is out there. You know, that breath that you're trying to breathe, that 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 release that you're trying to get, everything is beyond that door. There's a way in which serial is really about uh, character portraiture. And um, one difference is Adnan, was kind of a mystery and we wanted to know whether he was this purely innocent golden boy or a nefarious murderer. Here we know that Bo Bergdahl is a complicated figure. He might be an anti-hero. He might have deserted. Um, and he seems to have this narrative where he was a noble whistleblower. The work that Serial does is pretty novelistic in terms of character drawing, um, not just journalism. But so what does it mean to focus the show not on a likable character who might be a murderer, but on a strange guy who we're not really sure if he's a good guy or a bad guy or what kind of guy he is? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I would note that I'm not sure that the podcast wants us to make that distinction. Uh, On some level, I'm sure they do, but they did seem to be trying to humanize him right out of the gate. Um, as is necessary if we're going to spend a whole season with him. But I did kind of laugh. Um, Sarah Koenig says he was a ghost. He was a blank space in the center of the story until he started talking to filmmaker Mark Bull. And then immediately uh, we got a snippet of their recorded conversation, him saying, oh, I have a sense of humor, which is sort of 101 humanization of a character. Oh, they, they're funny. They make you laugh. And I, I did laugh. I'm not sure if that was intentional. Although we don't actually see his sense of humor, right? He announces that he has a sense of humor, and and Mark Ball says, uh, well, are you going to bring it out, or maybe it's not appropriate for you to bring it out? And he says, yeah, this isn't really the moment. Naturally, I have a very large sense of humor. That's Bo. You know, there's, there's good times and good places for it, and you know. Right, you're pretty careful with it. Yeah, exactly. Like, I've noticed even with me, like, you don't you don't crack many jokes. No. But you can, you know. I mean, I might not laugh, but you can try. <laughs> yeah. Um, if, I, if I see an opportunity, I might do it. Yeah, give it a try. If you see an opening, let's see what you got. I think it's no coincidence that uh, the producers choose to introduce their central character with this question. Is this a funny guy? Is this a guy we want to hang out with? Or, or is he something a little stranger than that? Yeah, and also, is he telling the truth about himself? which I think is the point you were just making, that uh, he says, he, he tells but does not show, um, I crack jokes, I'm a funny guy. And then you're right. Um, his interlocutor challenges that and says, oh, well, you know, you haven't, you haven't done that yet. Yeah, uh, it, I think it, it just sets us up to listen to this podcast with the question, who is this guy? Is he what he claims to be? Is he a normal guy? Is he a strange guy? Who is he? Is he Jason Bourne? Mm, right. He he also has this fantasy life that, in a weird way, is a, is a very banal fantasy life, right? Who doesn't want to be Jason Bourne? And and I would assume that of people who are who enlist in the armed forces, that kind of fantasy is pretty common. I am right, like okay. I don't know, Jason Bourne, right? A right. character in well, a book or whatever, a character. Yeah. So I had this fantastic idea that I was going to prove to the world 
that, you know, I was the real thing. You know, I could be, yeah. you know, what I could be what it is that every, you know, all those guys out there who go to the movies and watch those movies, they all want to be that. But I wanted to prove that yeah. I was that. It's probably less common to look for an opportunity to act it out and then seize that opportunity. Yeah. Although I got to say, I did admire Serial's craftsmanship um, at that moment because I think the revelation that he had this fantasy came right after it was um, revealed that the company, the Blackfoot company that uh, Bo belonged to was leaving. And I thought immediately, you know, at first he says that his motivation was just to um, get people to pay attention to how horrible the conditions were and all the failures of leadership. And so when I heard that they were leaving, I thought, why on earth would he make this grand stand if, if it's going to be over soon anyway? Um, and then immediately Sarah Koenig brought up this new piece of information, this new snippet that said, oh, but he also wanted to prove himself and be this action hero figure. Um, and it made me think, oh my gosh, they have anticipated every single objection or thought or reaction um, a listener is going to have. Like, this is such a carefully calibrated and put together show. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. But also that dichotomy is is part of how we're being trained to look at him, right? Is he actually doing something noble and self-sacrificing and heroic, or is he doing something self-aggrandizing and, and rooted in his kind of narcissistic fantasy? Okay, before we go on, here's a word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Harry's as I mentioned, Harry sent me a holiday shaving set. It came with a copper-plated razor handle, a couple of five-blade razor cartridges, uh, great-smelling shaving cream. And you can tell with this razor that it's really well-built. The weight is good in your hand. It's been well-made by somebody who cared about making a quality razor. I've been using mass-produced razors my entire life because I'm not the kind of person who owns a fancy, expensive razor. Harry's razors are affordable, but they're a lot better than the ones you're going to get at the, your local drugstore. Uh, you should get one for yourself if you're a shaver. If you're not a shaver, you should get one as a gift for the shaver in your life. Check out harrys.com. Get a few gifts. Treat yourself. Go there right now. As a special offer for for listeners of this podcast, Harry's will give you $5 off your first order with code SERIALSPOILER. Don't wait. Economy shipping for the holidays ends on December 18th, so act now. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com. Enter code SERIALSPOILER. So there's a really distinctive moment in the episode that people have been commenting on where Sarah Koenig compares the story that they're telling to a children's book that she read with her daughter. Um, the book is called Zoom. Uh, I imagine it's currently uh, rocketing up the Amazon charts as we speak. This children's book I used to read to my kids popped into my head. It's called Zoom. There are no words. It's just pictures. And it starts with these pointy red shapes. And then next page, you realize those shapes are a rooster's comb. Next page, you zoom out, you see the rooster is standing on a fence with two little kids watching him. Next page, zoom out again, they're in a farmhouse. And then zoom further, you realize that all of it, the rooster, the kids, the farmhouse, are toys being played with by another child. And that that whole scene is actually an ad in a magazine, and the magazine is in the lap of someone napping on a deck chair, and so on. Out and out it zooms, the aperture of the thing getting wider and wider, until the original image is so far away, it's unseeable. That's what the story of Bo Bergdahl is like. What do you think about her announcing the framing of the season like that? Well, I actually thought it was a brilliant sort of crystallization of what the show is about, which is on one hand, very small and intimate 
uh, personal narratives and on the other hand, an investigation of the way these big cumbersome systems, uh, the State Department, the Army, even the Taliban, uh, the way these bureaucracies work um, and how, how those two things interact. And then the other thought I had was it's almost a comment on the last season there is so much about whether serial was objective and whether there's an absolute truth. And there's something about sort of panning out and out and out until you get sort of a God's eye view um, that seems to be opening up the same questions of what is objectivity and is there really one solution to all the questions that the podcast is raising. And so I thought it was a pretty artful way to remind listeners that those were themes we were kicking around in the first episode and they weren't going anywhere. The other thing it made me think of is is the sort of 70s conspiracy thriller genre, those those stories that start with a single incident and then they pan out and it becomes apparent that the, you know this thing goes all the way to the top, right? And yeah. and with yeah. Bergdahl that's clearly true. He it starts with one individual soul in the middle of nowhere making a very strange decision and before long you've got the president involved and you've got the CIA implicated and you've got all kinds of things and hearings in Congress and um, we're going to, I guess, find out about all of that. Uh, I wonder how they're going to change the frame of reference in the subsequent episodes, but we got a, a clue to that in, in the cliffhanger ending, right? Hello? Hello. This is Sarah. That's me calling the Taliban. I laughed out loud when I heard that. She sounded so proud of herself. <laughs> like, yep, that's me calling the Taliban mic drop. That's right. It's uh, a rare moment of the journalism itself becoming the sort of crucial narrative event in the story, right? Oh, yeah. That's a great point. It was sort of a spotlight moment, like both in terms of shining a light on the way uh, journalism works and also in reference to the movie. Look what my job either forces me or allows me to do. Yeah, absolutely. I was also interested, and it connects to all this, um, in the choice to begin the episode with uh, Sarah Koenig describing a video. As our producer Sam pointed out, this is the most popular podcast audio series in the world, and it begins with a description of, of a video, of a piece of video footage. Uh, why that particular piece of video footage, and why start there, do you think? I think the the question of why that particular piece of footage is a lot easier than why video footage at all. Um, I think the the clip itself encapsulates basically the story that there is this transaction that's happening and there is good and bad and in any trade there's pros and cons and um, it's just sort of a fraught and ambiguous situation that is going to get us thinking about all of the uh, ambiguities that are swirling around this story and it's also kind of like a landmark point in Bo Bergdahl's story is like now he's back now what but I think it's a really interesting observation that this sort of hero of the podcast nation or empire or whatever is starting off by giving such primacy to um, a visual medium. Well, for the purposes of the narrative, it's a really important moment. The moment at which Bergdahl is handed over by the Taliban back to the Americans, the moment at which he's released from captivity, 
is the sort of pivot on which the story turns. And by implication in, in this season of Serial, we're going to be seeing what happened before that, what led up to this moment, what led up to his captivity and what happened during his captivity. And then we're going to be investigating what happened after that, after he was released, and presumably investigating the controversy around the release itself. Uh, uh, there are hearings in Congress today. People are arguing that the the exchange of Bergdahl for uh, five Guantanamo prisoners uh, was illegal, that Congress wasn't properly notified. So that's the moment at which this story becomes both a controversy and also something that's much, much larger than one guy or one unit. Uh, in terms of the fact that it's a it's a piece of video footage, it becomes in, in the context of serial, because all we're hearing is the noise of the helicopters and there's no real audio content that's meaningful in that clip. It becomes a kind of blank at the center of the narrative where we're starting with this crucial event that we can observe or that can be described to us, but we're not going to understand until the series unpacks it for us. I wanted to get your thoughts on Mark Bull, who's the filmmaker who interviewed Bo. It seems like his conversations with Bergdahl are playing the same intimate role that um, Sarah's conversations with Adnan played in the first season. Um, but he's obviously very different. Um, and I was wondering just what you thought of him. Mark Bull is an interesting figure and sort of a controversial one. He made uh, The Hurt Locker, which I thought was a terrific movie, and he made Zero Dark Thirty, which I was not quite as taken with and which gave rise to some controversy when it came out that he had been pretty closely involved with the CIA and, and that they had had quite a lot of influence over the way that movie depicted the, the killing of Osama bin Laden. So the fact that right at the center of this season of Serial is this guy who obviously is a very talented storyteller. He was a journalist before he was a filmmaker. He has these incredible recordings, but he's also been accused of being a little too close to government interests and, and to the CIA. Uh, I wonder if that will be addressed directly. It seems like the kind of thing that Serial very well might address. Yeah, absolutely, especially because she does call him unequivocally her partner for season two. So it would be hard to imagine her really... Um, being incredibly objective about about him. Yeah, that's right. Um, I assume the internet uh, will will be very interested in <laughs> Mark Bull from now on, uh, and and that we will learn a lot of things about him. Yeah, I mean, how do you think he comes off on tape when he's talking to Bo? It's interesting, isn't it? He he has that kind of sly voice. He never sounds like an interviewer who he doesn't sound like that Terry Gross kind of interviewer who's just really open and just wants to get you to open up and tell her a little bit more about this important thing to you. He sounds much more like a guy who's like having a beer with you and is slightly skeptical and wants to hear your stories, but isn't really giving you any like leeway or slack. Right. He sounded kind of combative. I mean, first he challenged the um, the self-description of being a funny guy. You know, he, he was kind of ribbing him a little bit. He had this sardonic tone. I mean, I thought it was kind of delightful to, that it would be a different type of rapport between the two characters characters as opposed to this. I mean, I love the sort of empathic relationship between Adnan and Sarah, but this is this is definitely different. Yeah, it doesn't feel like a journalist interviewing a subject and trying to get something out of them. It feels more like somebody who is trying to have a conversation with you and, and who is willing to sort of put himself in the conversation a little bit more. Yeah. Before we move on, another word from our sponsor. 
This episode is sponsored by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free 30-day trial membership. Just go to audible.com slash serial spoiler and browse the over 180,000 audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audible.com slash serial spoiler. That's audible.com slash serial spoiler and get started today. Audible content includes more than 180,000 audio programs from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, magazine and newspaper publishers, and business information providers. If you're interested in more true stories from Afghanistan, you might consider I Am Malala, the girl who stood up for education and was shot by the Taliban. The true story of Nobel Peace Prize winner Malala Yousafzai, who refused to be silenced and fought for her right to an education nearly paying the ultimate price in the process. Start your free trial today by going to audible.com slash serial spoiler. Okay, let's shift gears and talk about the military context of the story. And for this, we're joined by Adrian Bonnenberger, who served in Afghanistan very close, I think, to where Bo Bergdahl was. Is that right? That's correct. Thanks for having me on the program, Gabe. And uh, I was in Paktika province with 173rd uh, a couple of years before Bo Bergdahl was there with 4th of the 25th. That's correct. How long were you out there? I was there for 15 months. And when you heard Sarah Koenig and, and the other voices on Serial describing that part of Afghanistan... The earth there is this fine, fine dirt. The soldiers I talked to called it moon dust. The one time I saw Mest, and this would have been a, a couple days before Bergdahl disappeared, I looked at and I got chills that, wow, that, that place sucks. That's a guy named Ben Evans. He never even went to OP Mist, but driving by it was enough to take in the bleakness. Did that feel familiar to you? Absolutely. Hearing Sarah Koenig describe Paktika province, I, I, it, it was very clear to me that she had done her homework. And it, it, it took me back, and I think a lot of other veterans will probably say the same thing. It's, it's a very dusty, hilly, dry area, uh, very easy to get lost in the hills, as Bergdahl mentions. And... Yeah, she did a great job with that. Now, the premise of the show, in a way, is that for a soldier to do what Bergdahl did, to walk off his post and out into the middle of nowhere, that's an almost unheard of event. That's something that sends out immediate shockwaves all the way up the chain of command that immediately causes news that everyone is completely startled by. Is that accurate? That's completely right. I, I remember I... I must have been either in training or en route to another location, to the 10th Mountain Division from training, when I heard about it from a a veteran in the 173rd who said there was a a soldier walked off post and was captured by the Taliban. There are three types of narratives in the military for which one can get in trouble. The first and most important of which is mutiny. One must never mutiny. The second most important would be desertion. One must never desert. The third most important is murder. One has it drilled into oneself from from basic training on that desertion is one of the the great sins one can commit. And that's the story that existed from June of 2009 up until we recovered Bergdahl in 2014. And it seems to me, as a person who's never been anywhere like Afghanistan, who's never served in the military, who's never really been in physical danger of any kind, it seems to me that the impulse to run away would be a very powerful impulse in that situation. The impulse to to run away is 
to escape is strong. Uh, that's I, I would say that's that's probably the governing theme in Catch Twenty Two. That's what the the protagonist of Catch Twenty Two is primarily interested in doing: is escaping war, escaping this awful situation from which the only real escape ends up being death. And both of my deployments, I entertained probably daily fantasies about something taking me away from that situation. It's totally logical. Uh, a friend of mine, Mike Carson, wrote a great uh, essay about that phenomenon and about how human it was for Bergdahl to have wanted to run away. At that time, we thought that's what he'd done. Did you find his story plausible? Like, is it really singular that someone would want to sort of do a lone wolf operation and get intel and like this, this gesture that he was planning? Do you think that that was just a a story that he made up to get out of trouble? I know that that's been some of the reaction on Reddit and, and, and other corners of the internet that this seems like it was uh, contrived in retrospect, but uh, toxic leadership is a, a very real problem in the military. And I, I served with great commanders and I served with real commanders that were not great. And the it, it seems to me perfectly plausible that somebody would entertain fantasies of of bringing a bad superior to justice. I don't want to suggest that that's what happened in his case, but the narrative on its face does seem plausible. And this gets at whether or not Bergdahl ever should have been in Afghanistan. For for most sane and reasonable reasonable people, I think we can we can all say that we have been in difficult situations professionally where we did not agree with our superiors. And the answer to that was never to do something extreme. That is something that only an insane person would do. It seems exculpatory to me that if that was his motivation and he acted on it, um, uh, clearly he should never have been there in the first place. Although, could you maybe give an example? I found myself wondering, he said that the crappy leadership was endangering men's lives and he didn't want to be standing over the bodies of his comrades. What's an example of something that could have been going wrong that was so dangerous? Well, just from a a tactical perspective, I I was never at OP Mest. It was an OP, which is uh, in, and he also referred to the OP as a TCP, a traffic control point. So this sounded like a very transitory emplacement. This was not a COP, which is a combat outpost, or a FOB, which is a forward operating base. So you hear about FOB Sharana, uh, which had, at the time, thousands of soldiers on it. And OP Mest, Observation Point Mest, from the descriptions, was tiny and vulnerable and undersupplied and under-resourced. And whether or not he was in any practical danger at the OP, clearly he felt that he was in danger. And that combined with this, uh, what, what you described earlier as that, that desire to be the hero, the desire to be Jason Bourne, um, maybe it really was those two things operating in tandem. Let's take Bergdahl's story at face value for a minute. Let's say that the commander at OP Mest really was not just not such a great commander, but really someone under whom these men shouldn't be serving and someone who posed a danger to his men. What would such a commander be like? A truly bad 
toxic leader. And again, I am not accusing the lieutenant who was there of being this toxic leader. This is just a, a, a hypothetical statement. Uh, but such a toxic leader would be petty and spiteful and would be putting soldiers uh, out on ill-advised, dangerous missions without support would be sending them into dangerous areas, knowing that they were going to get hurt with no real expectation of advancement, uh, valueless missions. Also, throwing subordinates under the bus is another hallmark of a toxic leader, a leader who wants, who, who has other people take responsibility for his or her failures. And did you ever encounter a leader like that when you served? I certainly did. So it's not unheard of in the military. Oh, no. And uh, not only is toxic leadership not unheard of in the military, but another word for toxic leader would be psychopath or narcissistic personality disorder. Uh, people who are egotistically obsessed with themselves to the detriment of everything else. Uh, they flock to the, the combat arms of the military. And flock, I'm, of course, is a, a relative term. Uh, if 1% if of the population is a psychopath, then let's say 4 or 5%. But 20% of the military is said to be toxic leaders. And overwhelmingly, those, that type of leader finds his or her way into the infantry branch. So it is possible that that was something that Bergdahl saw or, or believed he saw. Okay, before we move on, one more word from our sponsor. Today's show is brought to you by The Message, an original science fiction podcast from Panoply and GE Podcast Theater. Hi, Nikki Tomlin here, and I'm the host of The Message. I'm going to take you into an elite cryptography think tank and check it out. Their top project right now is to decode a highly classified radio transmission from the 1940s. Have you listened to it yet? Not yet. Uh, we're having a discussion about that. But if I offered you the chance to listen to it right now, uh, sounds like a no. Well, we don't really know what it is. Voices, music, breathing. But, you know, I'm not going to mess with that thing. To sum it up, extraterrestrials. Subscribe to The Message on iTunes. Search for The Message on iTunes. So to get back to Bergdahl's story, um, we hear on Serial that Bergdahl had hoped to walk to the forward operating base, that he would go essentially from one outpost of the U.S. military to another through this dangerous hostile territory, but from one place of relative safety to another. And he had hoped that that would be enough to attract attention and, and allow him to, to blow the whistle on his superiors. Uh, then when he gets out there, he has a strange moment where he realizes, oh, actually, I've done something a little bigger than I had intended to do. I'm sort of in a little deeper than I thought. And he has the weird response of saying, as Sarah Koenig points out, that weirdly he decides to complicate his plan. The idea would have been if I had seen somebody in the darkness who looked like they were doing something suspicious, I would then slowly, quietly follow them in the night and then in the morning pick up their trail and track them to wherever it is that they're going. Then I'd get that information, and so that when I got back to the FOB, 
you know, they right. can say, you know, well, you know, you left your position, and I can say, well, I also got this information, so, you know, what are you going to do? I have this information of this person who is doing this on this night, and they live here, and so that would be, like, justifiable, like, he left his post, you know, he left the TCP, but he collected intel that helped us stop, you know, somebody who was putting an IAD in the road. Beyond how sort of nutty that idea is, does that seem like a plan that could be feasible in that situation? Or is this just a fantasy from a Jason Bourne movie? That is very much a fantasy from a Jason Bourne movie. The hills between where I was, which is right up on the, the border of Pakistan, Burmel. Burmel is separated by a large mountain range from Organi, which itself is separated by an even larger mountain range from Sharana, which is in the middle of a, a very large desert, if I remember correctly. I remember driving around on that desert in the dark, lost for hours on end, trying to find Sharana, which is a, a very large base. So that to me is ve a very strong piece of evidence that Bergdahl was not thinking clearly and had whatever deliberate preparations he made to leave his observation post were not grounded in reality. Actually, Adrian, I'm just curious to take a step back. As someone who lived this story, basically, or not this particular story, but lived in the, in the setting of this story and encountered similar situations, how do you feel about the entertainment value placed on and the artistic treatment of this story in Serial? Serial is itself going on trial in the sense that is it the type of storytelling mechanism that can do justice to a very strange and particular war story where most of the most important values of the military are on trial. If Serial can pull that off uh, in the particular at the local level, but also on the general level, the political level, then it will have made a crucial contribution to the conversation that needs to be going on in society today about the role of the military as it evolves and our role in international affairs. Things have gotten a lot worse since 2009, unfortunately. What outcome would you like to see? How would you want to see people respond to this? Well, there's an intrinsic value to hearing a war story, any war story, because it causes civilians in a democracy, ours in this case, to confront something that is happening for which we all bear some responsibility. And that that is good. That conversation is always good between veterans and civilians, between veterans and each other, between civilians and civilians. Um, my hope with this story will be that people will come away from the Bo Bergdahl serial po podcast thinking, this is something that could have happened to me what kind of a person am I and what responsibility do I bear as a civilian for putting people like this in harm's way? That's it for this episode. We'll be back next week following the release of the second episode of season two of Serial. And in the meantime, we'd love to hear your thoughts and questions about the show. Email us at serialspoilerspecial at gmail.com or record a voice memo on your phone and send it to that address. 
Thanks again to our guest, Adrian Bonnenberger. Find more of his work at Wrathbearing Tree, a progressive intellectual salon focused on military and veterans' issues. The Slate Serial Spoiler Special is produced by Sam Dingman. We are a production of Slate's Panoply Network. Laura Mayer is our managing producer, and Andy Bowers is our chief content officer. Find us in iTunes and find more great Panoply shows at itunes.com slash panoply.